This is it. Here we go. Once again, every week, we are back again for Inside EMS. It is the Chris and Kelly show, or as he likes to say, the Kelly and Chris show. We are going Inside EMS. We're excited for you to join us. Thank you very much. So, uh, KG, things going well up there in upstate New York? Good, man. It's good. Is it snowing, yet? Is it snowing yet? No, it is not. I'm going to a barbecue at a uh, one of the EMS chief's house this afternoon, and and uh, I stepped on the scale this morning and weighed 365 pounds, which is and it's, down. It screamed at you. Get get off me. <laughs> it said it said it was a talking shell. It said one at a time, please. What? Uh, how much are you down? Uh, twenty point twenty pounds in the last month. That's awesome, man. That's doing all the swimming and walking uh, in the water, and yeah. you're walking on the water. Yeah, I'm walking. Yeah, I'm, I'm walking on the, uh, in the water instead of on the water. As yeah. usual. I get in the pool and jog uh, or run as fast as I can, actually, for uh, for an hour. Yeah, they can't be very fast, though, man. That I mean, they can't. Oh, it's not very fast. It is a, it's a killer workout. I, I burned probably 1,600 calories in a workout. How do you measure mm-hmm. that? How do you know 1,600 calories? Yeah, well, you have a fitness. I have a fitness app on my phone. Oh, Apple watch and then it measures my heart rate, my respiratory rate. You feel any different? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh good. My shots are wearing off. So uh I'll be going back to see my doctor here at the end of the month and getting more. Um, but he's gonna be happy that I'm I'm probably going down twenty five minutes. Man, awesome news, awesome news. So you know, Kelly, this show this show really we're gonna focus on and, and we kind of think about what happens within our week that we can talk about in EMS and Today, you know, I just spent the week on jury duty and I had the opportunity to um, be placed on a jury and it was a murder trial and it was very, very involved. And one of the things that I found very, very interesting was how the police department, the forensic folks, the crime lab, the there was no paramedics, the um um coroner how they testified and you know as we talk about this it's not when you know if you're going to go to court in ems but it's when you're going to go to court and i think touching on some of those high points that i saw these professionals who are obviously in court a lot when you think about homicide detectives and crime scene technicians and coroners how they went ahead and did their um business it may be good to point out some of those best practices that I saw and um, maybe some of the mistakes that we can avoid. So let's let's go ahead and touch on some of those. So one of the things that was really interesting that I thought was a best practice was I watched a lot of people from the police department bring up a paper and give it to the um, court reporter. And on that was their name, their address, their credentials that they were going to talk about the training that they had as part of that because you know the lawyers will always ask tell us about your current role how long have you been in that role um tell us about how you got trained to do that job and it was more than one person that handed the court report and i don't know that that's the best practice or not because when i step on the stand and i say state your name chris sabalero c-e-b-o-l-l-e-r-o do i really need to give them a piece of paper right but it was kind of interesting to see that as it was helping the court reporter out and almost like she was in, um, requiring that 
as part of their testimony, which I thought was really interesting. That's uh, that's interesting. I, I did not, uh, my few times in court uh, appearing as an expert witness, I've never had to do that. Uh, I, of course, had to provide the defense attorney uh, with the CV that, that uh, he also provided with the uh, prosecutor, uh, provided to the prosecuting attorney, but um, never had to present my, uh, my name and everything to the, uh, to the court reporter. I've had to, of course, identify myself and, and, and that sort of thing, but I thought that that probably makes a useful touch, makes for a more accurate transcript, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it was, but I was watching people do that. And I was like, you know, I wonder and I wanted to ask her at the end, what were they giving you uh, just for that purposes? But, you know, one of the things that I found interesting as well was this case that I was specifically on happened in 2020. And the people who were coming up to speak, um, they would not talk about anything without having their notes and reports in front of them. And I think this is one of the things that we fall into as EMTs and paramedics, Kelly, that when we're preparing for court, I know that I'm going to talk about this case and I'm going to prepare by looking at my run reports or remembering the things that I did. And but one of the things that you need to be able to remember is you should not talk about anything that is not written in your report because they will tear it apart. And I watched that happen. There was a homicide detective who actually was really interesting, lied to the defendant to say, I have you on video. I know there's blood in your car. And at the time, he didn't know those things. Mm -hmm. And so but one of the things that the cross-examination did is they tore up his approach to how they did that. So one of the things that I think is really important to remember here is that when you're going to speak about a case or a call that you were on, whatever is written in your report is the only thing that you're going to talk about. And this is why, Kelly, we talk about documentation, why documentation is very, very important, because it's the little nuances that you leave out that now you're going to discuss that is going to get you into trouble. Yeah. You know, in in working with Gene Gandy back in the day and writing articles with him and, and consulting with him on uh, having him vet my medical legal lessons and stuff, uh, he used to say that that uh, the plaintiff's attorney in a malpractice case, his job is to make you look like a sloppy idiot. And your attorney's job is to make you look like Johnny Gage. And the weapon that each one of them will use is your report. And it's up to you to determine who it's more valuable to, the plaintiff's attorney or your attorney. And and m- many people don't get that. Uh, I know that in the middle of uh, a, a rough shift and you've done the umpteenth call of the day and you're just ready to go home, your documentation might get a little sloppy. You hope that your care doesn't get a little sloppy, but you can't afford a lapse there because those are the ones that, that come up and bite you. Uh, he used to say that you need to make your, your documentation understandable by 12 people who were too ignorant to know how to get out of jury duty. <laughs> and, and it's true. Uh, they, they don't have any concept of, of the, our role and, and the, the challenges and obstacles we face. And it's up to you to, to paint a good picture in your, your documentation. And sadly, most 
pre-hospital professionals are not taught specifically how to document well. And uh, the wrong place to uh, to find out is is in court when you're getting sued. Yeah, but and when you're looking, you're are you're looking at your screen or are you looking at your camera? Because I'm seeing like I'm looking at I'm looking at my screen because my my uh, I'm I'm on a uh, yeah I'm like I'm looking at the side of your face. What kind of crap is that? You look in the look in the camera there. Camera one, camera two. There you go. That's better. Do you want do you want blue steel? You know what I mean. You know, show me love. Show me love. So, I mean, it's like I'm a director now in this whole podcasting thing where I have to direct my good friend, Kelly Grayson. But so, KG, you know, one of the things that I thought was very, very interesting as well is uh, the people who seem to have known the information without looking at their report were challenged. So how do you remember this? Well, I prepared for this uh, before coming to court and it was probably about 10 minutes of a discussion about your preparation. Tell us about your preparation and how do you remember things? So is there anything that you've told us here today that you've, you know, that you could have misspoke on? So you really want us to believe that your memory is I and I, and again, that goes to the point of saying that you, um, uh, you know, you prepared in, in your memory and your recollection and not going back to your report and reading just what's in your report. One of the things that I think, say it again. Sounds like you forgot what you were going to say. Just yeah, I, I couldn't remember my report. So I, I had to go back. I can't speak unless I do that. Here's another thing that was interesting. So there were mistakes that were made in this case. And one of the examples were that the firearms technician said that the um, the bullet that killed this individual was a 40 caliber gun. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find out later it was a 357 Magnum. So as he was testing, yeah, as he was testing the bullet, he really should have put that it was an unknown caliber. So all he can do is weigh it. But from his drop down menu, he accidentally selected 40 caliber which then puts everybody on the offense of finding a 40 caliber that killed this gentleman. One of the things that I thought was very important is there was a little bit of humble pie that had to have been eaten as he was cross-examined to say, did you really forget or are you changing stuff because you're trying to make it to the benefit of the St. Louis Police Department? But one of the things that he had to do very humbly was admit his mistake, admit his errors, then he had to talk about other errors that he's had in his job. And even though this may be embarrassing, we have to be able to be as truthful as we can once we bring our hand to the air and say, um, I do. And it was the same thing with the St. Louis detective who said, I've got you on video. I know there's blood in your car. And the, def the defense attorney said, now you lied to him, didn't you? And he said, yes, I did lie to him. So we have to be able to have our integrity that if we make a false claim that is now being brought up in court, we don't stick with the false claim, regardless of how it looks, we've got to be able to be as honest as we can be. Yeah. You know, and, and to, to not be able to distinguish between a 40 caliber Smith and Wesson bullet and a, uh, 
in a 357 Magnum, that had to be one seriously deformed bullet. It was. Um, but the, you know, the, the thing is, is many EMTs, we're, we're all taught that we can amend our reports. And what do you do when you amend a report? You draw a single line through it, you initial it, date it if it's uh, back in the days of written reports. Uh, and now in electronic reporting, they put a timestamp on everything. And them, yeah. When something, an addendum was added or, or whatever. And that's perfectly legal. But what many people do not appreciate uh, is that it is an avenue for a plaintiff's attorney to attack your credibility. And the first thing they're going to start doing is, why did you change this? And, and oh, you made a mistake? Oh, really? Well, is that a common pattern for you? Do you and, and it gives them so many avenues into attacking your credibility that many, many EMS providers do not understand that. Cops do. Cops do in, in that, you know, because they appear in court pretty much all the time. Right. Uh, and they're long used to this sort of thing. And, you know, the like the, the police officer who, who lied to his uh, suspect to, to elicit some information, there's no law against that either. Um, they are allowed to lie to you to, to get the yeah, information. So it was funny you said that because the prosecuting attorney said this is a separate acceptable behavior for police officers and yeah. it, that didn't sit well with the jury in deliberations the people in the jury room did not like that comment at all yeah it is it is dangerous ground to tread i would imagine but it is legal and is it is acceptable and and it's it's often used and i think the best uh the best tack to take when confronted uh that way is probably say yes sir i did lie uh admit to it um and and downplay that you know but be honest and forthright and you kind of you kind of squash that line of questioning hopefully but uh mistakes making mistakes and and correcting them uh are something that's acceptable in in documentation but it will come back and bite you in court if you had to do that and you know that one of the things that was really really interesting as well kelly was not only did they question the technician and then the detective about lying. Um, but the technician about making making a mistake, they went into a whole diatribe now of the mistakes that all of the forensic technicians make. So it wasn't just my mistake that came under pressure. Now he had to answer questions about his whole team and the mistakes and the failures they make on a regular basis. Of course, they have to talk about that they have no way of tracking. They don't track errors. So in this error where I miscategorized 40 caliber 357, that's not documented anywhere in an overall program. Um, mm. And the only thing that they keep track of are their proficiency exams they take twice a year. So my proficiency tests are 100%. But when you're doing real coursework or real casework, what is your... Um, you know, mistakes when well, we don't keep track of those, which I thought was very interesting. But my point that I bring that up to you is be ready that if you made a mistake, they are going to question your whole department and how your department now keeps track of errors that have happened in the field, which I thought were very, very interesting. Because again, now that casts doubt. And I can tell you that in the deliberation in the jury room, and I am allowed to speak about this, um, this was a hung jury. Uh, the case was dismissed. They will retry the case down the road. There is nothing that precludes me 
from speaking about what I've learned uh, in the court case or what was discussed in the jury room. So all those sanctions have been lifted. Um, and that's why I thought that this was going to be a great topic to talk about. But in the jury room, and it was a great cross-section of jurors, um, truly a, a jury of peers, that because of this one mistake, the question and the integrity of the St. Louis Police Department was unbelievable. Nobody, there were people that just were not going to believe that there wasn't corrupt um, intent during this investigation, which I thought was very interesting. Well, I think a lot of, there's probably still a lot of resentment and uh, and distrust following Ferguson and that sort of thing. It kind of, uh, incidents like that, right or wrong, tend to, to paint law enforcement with, with a very uh, uh, broad brush as, as being corrupt not true but um perception is everything perception is reality to many people the the thing is 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 you mentioned it was truly a good cross-section demographic cross-section a jury truly a jury of their peers we in in civil cases in in ems we don't really get a jury of our peers <laughs> you know we we may have people who are demographically very similar to us um but as far as, as judging our actions, what they know is Hollywood, which is a, about as realistic a portrayal of emergency medical services and medicine in general as as your average Disney movie. So, well, pause uh, right there. I want to tell you something. So, with that intent, with that in mind, so in this case, you know, where we were doing a murder trial, opening statements between the prosecutor and the defense took maybe 12 minutes yeah this wasn't a like you see on tv a 30 minute you know diatribe of information opening statements were like 12 minutes the most between both guys which i was really surprised at the the uh i'm reminded of uh that that miniseries the hatfields and mccoys um when uh the lawyer perry klein stood up to to present the uh Randall McCoy's case and the judge, Judge Hatfield stopped him and said, uh, Miss, Mr. Klein, uh, the brief of your remarks, the better your case is going to be received. <laughs> and that's true. You know, it, it's probably just like an EMS lecture. Uh, you drone on forever and ever and you lose people. You want to just capture their interest, say what you need to say, uh, and set the stage for what's going to come. Uh, you you need to try the case in your opening or closing arguments, uh, contrary to the the popular Hollywood uh, myth. But your job as as your uh, if you're on trial, your job is to explain yourself and to paint as good a picture as you as you can of what went on uh, and defend yourself well. But the the way to to look is to be calm, don't get baited, um, and and stick to the facts and explain your actions to the jury and your thought processes and come across as helpful. Uh, and, and this is, you know, I have a tough job. This is how I, I do it. This is what I was facing that day. Yeah. And, and that sort of thing is, is accepted and, and welcomed by even people who don't understand what it is that we do. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting as well was, Nobody offered up any other information 
So another thing was really brevity, right? So when the officer, when the lawyers would say, you were the detective that was on scene um, on blah, 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 the answer was yes. It wasn't, yep, I showed up at six, blah, 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 and then I went ahead and it was very, very, and and we have the tendency of in the, um, in the, you know, in the partner of, of silence, we think we need to fill the air. They were, they were very succinct with either one word answers or one sentence answers and did not move on to more information. And there were times when people would um, kind of go on a rant, which just opened up the door for more questions of what they just said. So another thing that I think is important is really kind of keep your answers brief if they can be one word answers to corroborate the statements that are in your chart. And that's what you have to keep doing. I can't count the number of times people would say, so tell us about the blah, blah, blah. And everybody would say, well, I need to refer to my notes, not from memory. I need to go ahead and read my notes. And they would go back to their notes or they would go back to their finding and says, okay, I have it. Now, what was the question? And then they went from that point. But I don't know if you have any insight on that. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, if you get sued as an EMT, likely is not your employer is going to be served with the subpoena, not you directly. Um, you may be out on a truck. You may be hard to pin down. They're going to serve your employer. And then your employer is going to let you know, hey, you got a subpoena. Um, what many people don't realize, unless you ask for it, uh, your employer needs to provide you with copies of your documentation so that you can familiarize yourself with that. And quite often, you know, the person that, that notified you of the subpoena is a clerical worker in the office. They don't, they don't much uh, have any concern with that. They just did their job and let you know that you, you're subpoenaed and you're supposed to appear on such and such a date. And you have, may have to pursue uh, the documentation that you need and review it uh, in time to be uh, prepared for court. Because I don't know about you, Chris, but I can't remember last week, much less a call that happened two plus years ago. Uh, and many of these, it will be years after the fact before you appear in court. So you have the opportunity to review your your uh, uh, your report and God forbid you look at your narration and it's a half a paragraph uh, on a refusal of care where the patient wind up having, you know, dying or, or having a, a bad outcome afterwards uh, because the, then you're really screwed. Uh, that's a situation where your attorney goes to the plaintiff's attorney and says, I'm going to write down a number and, and you tell me how many zeros to add before you can go away. <laughs> and uh, you don't want to be in that position. But, but when you refer to your report, refer to it often. Uh, if you are not sure, say, I don't recall, uh, and, and use every opportunity to refer back to your report. And another thing I'll add is when you're, you only want to answer short, factual answers, uh, still appear helpful uh, in trying to provide information, but don't, as you pointed out, try to fill the silence with, with words. Um, but the other thing is, excuse me, um, See, I, I got a criticism. I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, you can't say what you want to say on the stand. If you're called on the stand, either as an expert witness or as the defendant in a, a malpractice suit, um, your attorney's job will, uh, 
you know, when he's direct examining, you will often let you tell your story. But if you're under cross-examination by the plaintiff's attorney, you are not allowed to say what you want to say. They're going to ask questions to elicit a certain answer from you that doesn't paint you very well. And and you were allowed to only say that and and they'll cut you off. Uh, most attorneys will will do that. Now, uh, you don't want to spar with the with the opposing attorney. Uh, I have done that. I have sparred with the opposing attorney and I was lucky in that he was an idiot. <laughs> um, uh, a prosecuting attorney tried to paint me as a uh, less than educated because he asked about my educational background and told him I have an associate degree from the community. And he said, so, so a community college then. And before he could shut me up, I said, yes, with uh, 20 years of, of uh, continuing education, at least 100 hours uh, a year of continuing accredited continuing education uh, for 25 plus years. So roughly equivalent to your law school. And that made its way into the transcript. He didn't shut me up in time. I'm lucky, but uh, don't don't count on luck. You will not get to say what you want to say under cross-examination. Yeah, but hopefully we've given you some tips now. And, uh, you know, this is going to be, if you have any tips about how you are uh, handling yourself in court, we certainly want to know them at the show at ems1.com. But Kelly, it's about that time again to uh, mosey off into the sunset. Let's mosey. Yeah. Before before we mosey, I lettered in the hundred meter mosey in high school. Did you? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Um, uh, I'll leave you with one parting shark, uh, thought. The best shark repellent there is is just being nice. People don't sue you because of bad outcomes. They really don't. Most often they sue because they were upset and they were angry. If you're nice to people, even when you make mistakes. Uh, and this has been borne out by a lot of research, even an apology after making a medical mistake actually heads off lawsuits more than it opens you up to them. So be nice, document well, and that's your very best uh, repellent uh, against those sharks swimming in legal waters. But hey, that's my opinion. You've heard what Chris has to say. We'd like to know what you have to say. Have you had any experiences in court that went your favor or didn't uh, go in your favor? And what did you learn from the experience? Email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and check out our YouTube channel. And thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. For me and Chris Sebolero, we'll catch you next week.